0: Ecclesiastes chapter twelve. Starting in verse eight. How's everybody doing this uh this afternoon? Evening? Everybody's doing good? Small crowd. I feel, I feel what? What? You never know. Adam's giving me tips. Hallelujah. Thank you. Anywho. Is everybody there? Okay, Ecclesiastes chapter 12. Starting in verse 8. Um <clears throat> This is more going to be like a teaching session. I, li- I like to teach, maybe a little preach, but this is more teaching, so uh, you guys could take notes if you want, just um, just be ready to hear the Word of God, amen? So uh, starting in verse 8, this is the book of Solomon, this is his third book, this is, he's writing this part, uh, you know, he wrote three books, Songs of Solomon, uh, Proverbs, and then Ecclesiastes. And this is uh, his last book that he wrote. He's already old here; he's of old age, and uh, you will see that as he writes this. Uh, and in verse eight, he starts. Uh, well, he doesn't start off, but look, at, look to uh, look what he says here: "Meaningless, meaningless," says the teacher. Everything is meaningless. <coughs> he carries this whole theme throughout the whole book of Ecclesiastes. The book is is a little depressing, actually. It's, it's almost a little cynical. If you read the book, it's like he's talking about everything is meaning. Everything you do, everything you accomplish, everything you gain in life, everything is meaningless. What's the point? So you read this, it's almost depressing. It's like, man, so, so what? what's the point then? What's the point of us living? What's the meaning of life? Right? Every time, he says it's plenty of times meaningless. Other, uh, King James says vanity. All is vanity. It's all a waste of time. There's no point to everything that you do. That's what he's saying throughout the whole book. You see, Solomon was a wise man. He had it all. And if anybody had it all, it was Solomon. As a matter of fact, let's turn. I'll read it. Ecclesiastes chapter 2. Just to give you an idea of what Solomon had. Right? He's like, I thought in my heart, come now. I will test you with pleasure to find out what is good, but that also proved to be meaningless. Laughter, I said, is foolish, and what does pleasure accomplish? I tried cheering myself with wine and embracing folly. My mind still guiding me with wisdom. I wanted to see what was worthwhile for men to do under heaven during the few days of their lives. So he just wanted to see hey, what everything that there is to do, everything that's joyful. He's like, I want to see. I want to try it out. And a harem as well, the delights of the heart of man. I became greater by far than anyone in Jerusalem before me. In all this, my wisdom stayed with me. I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. Isn't that awesome? (laughs) He, He had it all. He's like, everything my heart desired, everything I laid my eyes on that I wanted, I had it. He had it all. See, my heart took delight in all my work, and this was the reward for all my labor. Yet, when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless. A chasing after the wind, nothing was gained under the sun. Isn't that crazy? Does that make sense? He had it all. He had silver and gold. He had all the riches. He had all the women. Honestly, he he had sensual pleasure. He had it all. So when you look at people, oh, they have it all. They're having a good time, you know, having sex and drugs and all. He had it all. You see, he was a man. He was wise. But you know what? If you read his story, he backslid. He backslid, and now, thank God that he came back. He got restored, and now pretty much, he's pretty much, this book is kind of like serving as a warning. He's sharing his regrets here. See, he, he's coming to, uh, you know, he's of old age now, so this is almost like his testimony. He's giving us warning like, hey, I had it all. Trust me, I had it all, but it's all this meaningless. It's not worth it, guys. That's what he's saying here. He's sharing his testimony. See, he was wise, but there's a difference between having wisdom and applying that wisdom to your life. You see, Solomon had wisdom, but he backs it. He got into idolatry. He, he uh, put his, his happiness, his, his joy in the things that he had, his, his treasures and his material things. But he came to find out that wasn't, that wasn't the point of life. That didn't bring meaning to it. That didn't bring true joy and happiness to his life. You see, he's realizing that. So he's sharing like his testimony. And so how he said here, meaningless. So we start with verse 8, meaningless. Everything is meaning. So what is the point of life? What is the point? What is meaning then? What is your purpose in life? And so that's what we're going to study here today. You see, he reads, the, uh, he, he talk, he's talking throughout the whole book. And now, as you see in verse 9, the little subtitle there says, The Conclusion of the Matter. So he's going to describe to us what is the meaning, what is the purpose of life. Because he's saying everything is meaningless It's meaningless when everything that we do, if we carry it apart from God, is meaningless. Everything we do apart from God, there's no point. There's no joy in that. That's what he's talking about here. Everything, because he had everything. I mean everything. But he's saying, man, that was all meaningless. There was no point to that. Why? Because, like I said, he backslid and he didn't find no joy in that. But he said, this is what it's all about, God. It's about us having a relationship with God. So let's start off. Let's go to, uh, to verse 9 now. So we're going to break this down. We're going to go verse by verse breaking it down. Okay? And he's going to show us what is the meaning. What is the purpose? Verse 9. Not only was the teacher wise, but also he imparted knowledge to the people. He pondered and searched out and set in order many proverbs. Right? So he's, he was a wise teacher. First King says that he, he said in order three thousand Proverbs. So he was a very wise man. He wrote Proverbs, songs, right? And he said not only was the teacher wise, but he also imparted knowledge. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. What is the point you having all that wisdom, all that knowledge, and you don't and you keep it to yourself. You don't share it to nobody. You see, that's why we believe in discipleship and mentorship. You see, thank God for, for a pastor that we have, like Pastor Joe. He has a lot of knowledge, but he imparts that knowledge to us, right? through discipleship, through the 101, through the 201. And then your job is you get that knowledge and you impart it to others. And that's the whole process of disciples making disciples. We all have a a message. We all have a testimony. We're all wise, I believe. And we have a responsibility to impart that knowledge to others. The knowledge of Jesus Christ. The knowledge that Jesus died on the cross. And that he rose again. That he loves you. The knowledge that, hey, there's heaven and there's hell. And if you don't get right with God, you're not going to make it to heaven. You see, we all have knowledge that we should not impart. And so Solomon was very wise. And thank God he wasn't selfish. He imparted that knowledge to people. Because he wanted them to know what it's all about. He didn't want them to stay confused, like wondering what's going on. He wanted them to know what it's all about. He wanted them to live a successful life. A life that's grounded on the Word of God. Amen? So he pondered and searched out and set in order many Proverbs. See, a proverb is, is an earthly saying with heavenly truth. See, he's saying here that he pond- You see, think about that. He pondered and he searched out. He just didn't speak the first thing that came to his mind. He wasn't speaking his op- opinion. No, he took his time. He studied the Word of God. He took his time with it, and he studied it very carefully. Right? And that's what we should do when we preach when we're leading small groups, when we're out there evangelizing, we, should, we shouldn't just come up with the first thing that comes to, to mind. Like, it should be wise words, thought-out words. Amen? The teacher searched to find just the right words, and what he wrote was upright and true. Amen. I like that. See, again, he's saying he searched to find just the right words. He wasn't just going to put any words down. He wasn't just going to speak anything, like I said, that came to mind. No, he wanted to find just the right words, words that were delightful, words that would capture people's hearts. He wanted to be a good communicator. He wanted to catch people's attention. He wanted to to put in order words that would change lives, a message that that would edify people, that would encourage people, that would transform them. Not just a fancy message. You see, you know, you got these pastors and, the, you know, they got the, the hop and the skip and they have these fancy words and, and this message and they look cool up there. But they don't they don't reach the people. The, the people are lost. See, he wasn't, you know, he, he's not looking for a message that impresses people. He wasn't looking for a message that would tickle people's ears and so that he could get a pat on the back and say, hey, good job. No, he chose words that would encourage people, convict people, change their lives. He pondered, he searched, he studied carefully. And that's what we should do. When we, some of us will release Bible studies when we're preaching at them. I know sometimes you preach and elevate. Man, just search out the right words, words from God that would change lives. Not an impressive message. What's the point of that? It's not going to do anything. He chose just the right words, and what he wrote was upright and true. That's beautiful. Upright and true. The Word of God should always be upright and true. It should never be compromised. It should never be compromised, whether people like it or not, whether they get offended or not. It doesn't matter. The Word of God, upright and true. Jesus preached the Word they didn't like Him for that. They crucified Him for that. The, the prophets, everybody here in the Bible, they preached the Word. And they hated them for that. But what they preached was upright and true. That's it. Whether people like it or not. Whether they hate you or not. Whether they're your friend or not. It doesn't matter. But the message that we preach should be upright and true. That's the Word of God. You either believe it or you don't believe it. You either accept it or you don't accept it. This ain't like, you know, some people take the Bible like a like like at a buffet line, and you pick and choose what you like, and the rest is like, oh well, that's not you know that's not good for me. I don't want that. You leave it to the side. No, you either accept it as a whole or you don't. That's it. The word of God is either absolute or is obsolete. That's it. There's no in between. You know that like you see, you know you, you talk to some people. Oh yeah, Jesus was a good man. I I believe in some of his teachings, but they don't believe that he's the way, the truth, and the life. I mean, he, you either believe what he said. Or you don't. He was either a liar or he was telling the truth. He's, he's either... He, well, he said he was. He's the Son of God. He's the way, the truth, and the life. No one goes to the Father except through him. Or well, he's not. It's not like, oh, well, you know, some of his teachings are okay, but those I, I don't really agree with. No. <laughs> it's not like that. You either believe him or you don't. That's it. Amen? You see? So his words were upright and true. Words that directed people in the right direction. That would uh, that would teach them to live a righteous life, amen. So, verse eleven, the words of the wise are like they their collective sayings like firmly embedded nails, given by one shepherd. Mm. Who is that one shepherd? The great shepherd Jesus. So he's saying here, these are the words of God. This ain't my words. These are the words of God. So you can rest your souls in what I'm saying. You can trust in what I'm saying. You can believe in what I'm saying. You can believe that is upright and true because these are the words of God. These are the words of God given by one shepherd. God is our shepherd. And we're his sheep, right? Jesus said that, that my sheep know my voice. He's the shepherd. And we're his sheep. And uh, you know what? That's not really a compliment. Why is it not a compliment? Because sheep are... One of the dumbest animals on the planet. (laughs) Seriously. So when he said that, you know, you're thinking like, oh, cute, I'm a little, eh, a little, a little cute sheep, lamb, you know. But that wasn't really a compliment because sheep literally are one of the dumbest animals on the planet. That's why they need a shepherd, to guide them in the right direction. If they're, I mean, you know, you got the sheep that they go astray. Seriously, they go astray and they're one of the easiest preys for a predator. So they need that shepherd. Without a shepherd, they're done. They're dead. That's it. They're dead. So that's what he's saying. God is our shepherd, and we need him to guide us in the right direction. Because without him, without the word of God, we're lost. Literally, we need him. And if we don't have him, we're, we're foolish, we're done, we're, we're dumb. And we will die spiritually. So he is our shepherd. We're his sheep. And so he's saying that the words of the wise are like golds. What are goads? I'm goads. Does it sound like goads? The words of the wise are like gold. You see, the words of the wise, well, the book, the whole book of the Bible are words of the wise. So he's talking about the whole scripture. The Bible, are, the Bible is like goads. goads. are long is a long wooden stick with an iron point or a pointed edge. And they were used by shepherds to poke the flock, the cattle, to poke them in the right direction. To keep them from you know going away, or to keep them moving, you know maybe when they're when they're you know they're asleep or they don't want to move, just poke them to keep them going in the right direction. And so he's saying this is the word of God. It will move you in the right direction. It will get you going to where sometimes you don't want to go, but you know what? It's going to steer you in the right direction. You got to trust it, right? And then their collective sayings like firmly embedded nails. Well, we know what nails are used for. Shepherds use the nails to. Uh, um, to nail down their tents so that the tents doesn't drift away. And we use nails all the time to hammer down things so that they can stay in place and secure. So that's the Word of God. Right? It keeps us secure in in His path so that we don't fly away and we don't, you know, drift away. No, it keeps us secure and hammered in the Word of God. His Word of God is pierced in our hearts. Let it stay there. Let it be implanted in our hearts. Right? So that's the Word of God. Hebrews 4.12 says that the, that the Word of God is living and active. Living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates the dividing soul and spirit, joint and marrow, and it judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. That's the Word of God. There's no other book, there's no other words that's living and active. Only the Word of God is living and active. It is, it's doing something. It transforms lives, Right? First Tim, uh, Second Timothy three sixteen. What does that say? That the word of God is God breathed, is it's inspired by God, and is useful for teaching, useful for rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the man and woman of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. That's the word of God. Amen. So that's what he's saying here, man. The word of God is good. It serves a purpose, right? It serves as a goal to poke you, and sometimes you know that might be like a rebuke. Maybe it won't feel good. But you know what? It's good for you. It's going to get you going so that you're not left behind and a predator comes and takes you away. Sometimes it doesn't feel a correction, a rebuke. doesn't feel good. But it's going to poke you in the right direction. It's going to motivate people. The Word of God motivates people. gets them going. The lazy, the sluggish. We know people, Christians, that are like that. They're lazy. They're sluggish. They're, you know, they're comfortable in where they're at. But the Word of God will take them out of their comfort zone. It will challenge them. It will move them. Amen? And then the nails, well, it keeps you secure. So that could apply to people who are maybe going through a hard time. They're going through the storm and the wind. They're they're going back and forth. But the Word of God is like a nail that keeps them secure, keeps them from drifting away. When they're confused, going through a hard time, they're burdened. It keeps them secure in the Word of God. Amen? So, you know, he's building it up. This is good. This is real good. Okay, so now he's saying that this is the word of God. is given by one shepherd, right? It's good for you. It's going to motivate you. It's going to keep you safe. And then he says, but be warned, in verse 12. Be warned, my son, of anything in addition to them. Of making many books, there is no end. And much study wearies the body. Anybody goes to school or has been to school, you know that much study wearies the body. Right? That's true, right? All oh, that studying, man. Your eyes just get tired mentally. Your dreams somehow, just because you're reading, studying, your body just feels fatigued. I don't know how that works, but it wearies the body. Much study wearies the body. We know that, right? S.U.M. Yes, are starting, you know. It wearies the body. So he knows what he knows what he's talking about. And so, just listen to this. Let's break this down. He said, "Be warned, my son, of anything in addition to them. In addition to what?" in addition to the Word of God. Be careful what you're reading out there. There's a bunch of books. What he says, what he says here? Um, of making many books, there is no end. We know that. There's millions of books out there. And now that we have the Internet, there's so much information about everything. You want to know who Solomon is? Man, there's hundreds of books out there about Solomon. Who he is, who he was, what he wore, how he looked like. Everybody's an expert on Jesus. There's probably thousands of books about Jesus. Right? There's so many books out there about everything. And then people get involved with that. And they get involved with that and they start reading all these informations, and they forget about the Bible. Well, what does the Bible say? He's not saying don't study any other books. There's good books out there. There's good books out there to encourage you and, you know, to give you information. He's not saying don't study anything but the Bible. But what he's saying is don't study all those other books to the exclusion of the Bible. You see, you got people that they read so much other information about sometimes things that doesn't even matter. The lost gospels and the lost years of Jesus and and demons and how to cast them out and all this stuff. Well, let me save you your time, you know, like with demons, for example. Right? There's books out there and you go to lectures and all that stuff. Well, let me save you hours of reading. What does Jesus says about demons? Fast and pray. I saved you a bunch of time. I saved you some money from buying a book, you know? You know what I'm saying? It's like, what does the Bible say? That ha- this has to be our main source. And there is other books out there that are false. So you need to be careful what you're reading out there. Right? And then you got uh, uh, false religions like the Mormons. Well, they believe in a Bible, but they added another book. You see what I'm saying? So that's what i saying. Be careful in the, in the addition to the, to the Word of God. You see, all those other books are used for our information. But the Bible is used for our transformation. Amen? Living and active. That's the Word of God. Information, the Bible is living and active. It transforms lives. It has transformed lives. Atheists who have tried to prove the Bible wrong has been converted because they find out that the Word of God is true. Living and active. So again, he's not saying, hey, yeah, we have to study. There's other books out there to encourage us to give information. But the Bible is the main source. What does the Bible say? We have to find out what the Bible says about everything. And then those older books are extra. Amen? You understand that? Okay. So now, here comes the good stuff. So he's building it up, right? So now 13. Now all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. Mm. Here it is. Here's the kicker. He said, now all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. This is what it's all about. You've heard it all. You've heard all these messages. You've read hundreds of books. You've you you know you've read articles and lectures. You've heard pastors preach about everything. I mean, I've been a Christian my whole life, and I've heard a bunch of messages. I've read books. All has been heard. And he's saying, you know, I, he, 12 chapters, Ecclesiastes. He said, man, you heard it all. You heard everything that I had to say. Now, this is what it's all about. This is what it all comes down to. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. That's it. Fear God and keep his commandments. This is the whole duty of man. And actually, the word duty was um, added in there by the translators. The real translation, the Hebrew translation says, takes off the word duty and says, for this is the whole of man. So what that means is when you fear God and keep his commandments, this is the whole event. This is what makes you complete. This is what makes you whole. This is what gives you a balanced life, makes you stable. This is the meaning in life. This is the purpose for our lives. This is it. This is our meaning. This is our purpose. This is the reason why we live. Fear God and keep his commandments. You know how he said in verse 8 and throughout the whole Bible, meaningless, meaningless, everything is meaningless. Well, this is what we have to do. It's meaningless if we don't do this. But when we do this, what he says, this is the whole of man. This is what completes you. This is what makes you full and complete. So you're saying I don't have to read The, the Purpose Driven Life by Rick Warren now? I could save you that time. The Bible, I mean, it's a good book. Don't get me wrong. I have the book. It's good. But that's it. <laughs> this summarizes it. This is your purpose driven life. This is your, the meaning to life. This is the secret to life. Fear God and keep his commandments. That's it. I saved you some time. (laughs) Not me, the word of God. You see, what does the word of God say? Right? What does it say? You see, we always have to come to the word of God. Fear God and keep his commandments. This is our purpose. This brings meaning to our lives. Right? This is what life is all about. Pretty much, bottom line, this is what life is all about. This is the whole reason you're here. Right? This is the secret. You can like it. You don't like it. Accept it. Don't accept it. It doesn't change anything. The point is, this is our purpose for everybody, for the whole world. This is what was God's intention from the beginning, from Adam and Eve, to have that perfect relationship. Fear God and keep His commandments. I don't care what anybody says. Oh, well, that's boring. It's Just following a bunch of rules. Well, I don't care what they say. I'm having a good time. I'm full of joy. You see, you got to understand. He is saying this makes us complete. We lack nothing when we do this. We're full of joy. We're full of peace. We're stable. We're responsible. We live holy and righteous lives. We're content where we're at. This makes, them ho- makes us whole. We will lack nothing. We will want nothing. We will have it all. Everything will be balanced and complete in our lives when we do this. And so I don't care what anybody says. This is boring. Well, well this is fun for me. And even if it was boring, well, it's going to be fun when I die and go to heaven and have a Holy Ghost party with the angels and Jesus, right? That's going to be fun. When I'm hanging out with Solomon say that I do a good job, you know, preaching the word, that's going to be fun. I'll tell you what won't be fun, you and hell for our eternity, that's not going to be fun. So you either accept or you don't. The point is this is the truth. This is the only way. There is no other option. Fear God and keep his commandments. This is not a suggestion. This is not an option. This is not like, you know, a workout routine where, you know, hey, try this workout routine. It might work for you. But if it doesn't, hey, there's another. No. There's, only, this is the only, there's, there's no other option. Solomon wasn't saying this, hey, it worked for me, it might work for you, and if it doesn't, try something else. No. This is it. This is what it's all about. This is what life is all about. Fearing God and keeping His commandments. That's it. This summarizes... I mean, if he would have wrote that in the first verse, chapter 1, that's it. It would summarize the whole Ecclesiastes. Pretty much, that summarizes the whole Bible. Fearing God and keeping His commandments summarizes the whole Bible, if you think about it. Right? Psalms 33.8, you don't have to turn there, i got some verses written down. Psalms 33.8 says, Let all the earth fear the Lord, let all the people of the world revere Him. See, there's a command of God. Deuteronomy 6.1 and 2 says, These are the commands, the decrees, and the laws the Lord your God directed me to teach you to observe in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess, so that you, your children, and their children, after them, may fear the Lord your God as long as you live by keeping all His decrees and commands that I give you so that you may enjoy long life. You want long life? Fear God and keep His commandments. You see, there's blessings. It's not just following rules, but there's blessings. I'm going to get to it. It's a good thing when we fear God. God provides for us. He takes care of us. See, take God serious. Fear God. Keep it. Take Him serious and do what He tells you to do. The Bible talks about fearing the Lord. 278 times, almost 300 times the Bible talks about fearing the Lord. So what does it mean to fear the Lord? I mean, there's so many verses out there. I mean, I just grab a few. But fearing the Lord is just recognizing who He is. It's standing in awe of Him, knowing that He is a holy God, that He is awesome. He's powerful. He's full of glory and majesty. And just standing in all of that, like giving Him the respect and the honor and the glory that He deserves, that's fearing the Lord recognizing that he is a holy God, he is righteous, and that nature of him causes him to judge sin. He is angry about sin. He hates sin. And he will judge those who break his righteous laws. See, when we know that, we're going to learn to have a fear of the Lord. The problem is that people don't fear the Lord. Why? Because they don't know him. Because if they did, they knew that he has power to judge sin, that he's going to destroy people because they broke the law of God. They're going to fear him. Because one day we're going to meet Him face to face and we're going to have to give an account of our lives to Him. Of good or bad, the Bible says. See, if they knew that, they would fear God. But they don't know God. That's why people out there, they mock Him, they deny Him, they ridicule Him, they don't believe in Him. They don't fear God because they don't know Him. But man, let us know Him. And when we do know Him, we will know what it is to fear God. It was blessing. It would be good for us. See, people fear everything else. They fear death. They fear uh, the violence out there. They, feel, they fear the diseases. Their, you know, uh, uh, the economy is getting bad and the price of how am I going to pay my bill and all that stuff. They fear all of that except God. They fear everything else but God. Here's a quote from Oswald Chambers. He was a man of God in the late 1800s and he made this quote. The remarkable thing about fearing God is that when you fear God, you fear nothing else. Whereas if you do not fear God, you fear everything else. See, when we fear God, nothing else matters. Because we know that God's going to take care of everything else. And we know that we don't live for this life. We live for the afterlife. We know that the afterlife, that's what really matters. That's, That's our goal in life. See, but when we don't fear God, we don't understand what life is all about and we fear everything else. That's why there's all these phobias and all this stuff. When we fear God... We fear nothing else, and that's a beautiful thing. If we understood that God man, He's a powerful God. He's a powerful God. Hebrews ten thirty one, if you could turn there, Andrew. We'll put it up in the karaoke thing here. Hebrews ten thirty one. See, look at, look, look at what this says here. Ten thirty-one. For we know him who said, "It is mine to avenge; I will repay." And again, the Lord will judge His people. It is a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. See, he knows what it is to fear God. It's a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. He is a living God. And you better be careful how you live your life here on earth. Matthew ten twenty eight, what does that say? Do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. That's the God we serve. Don't be afraid of everything else, of the people that can just kill the body. But be afraid of the one that could kill both body and soul in hell. You see, he has our whole lives in his hands. Our spirit, our soul, everything. See, he's the one that we should fear. And when we fear him, that's when things go right. See, let me just give you a few verses. Like I said, uh, there's good things. There's benefits. Philippians uh, 2, 12 and 13. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my... But now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. You see, work out your salvation. And to the day we meet Jesus, we need to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. That's what Paul says. Proverbs 1.7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. But fools despise wisdom and discipline. Proverbs 16.6, through love and faithfulness sin is atoned for. Through the fear of the Lord, a man avoids evil. You want to live a holy and righteous life? Fear the Lord. Proverbs 22, 4, Humility and the fear of the Lord brings wealth and honor and life. Oh, that's a good thing. The fear of the Lord brings wealth and honor and life. That's a good thing. And then Psalms 34, 7 says, The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him, and he delivers them. You see, that's a promise. You see, these are promises that God tells us. Fear the Lord, in 9, You, his saints, for those who fear him, lack nothing. And there's so many verses out there, right? Isaiah 66, 2 says, this is the one I esteem. God is saying this. He was humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. This is the one I esteem. You see, those are the people that he will use the most, most powerfully. Those who fear him, who's humble, who's contrite in spirit, fearing the Lord. And then the next, what it says, fear the Lord. And the next is uh, uh, keeping his commands. Fear the Lord and keep his commands. For this is the whole duty of man, keeping his commands. The Bible says it's not burdensome in First John, right? Those who love me, they obey my commands, right? Jesus said that in John, if you love me, obey my commands. His commands are not burdensome. It's not like, oh, it's so hard. It's going to be so hard to follow. No, it's a joy. It's good. It's not hard to do it, right? John 15, if you could turn to Andrew... Right, John 15. He's there. So fear the Lord, keep His commands. This summarizes everything. And then in John 15, verse 9, what does it say here? As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in His love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. And then you are my friends if you do this. That's keeping his commands. Right? And there's so many commands. Matthew, if you could turn to Matthew 22, there's so many commands out there. But thank God that Jesus summarizes it. He broke it down so easy. Can anybody guess that? What that is? What is the command of God? What is like the simplest way to put it, that Jesus put it? Love God and love people. Wow, that's, that's our vision. Love God and love people. You see, the, he broke it down. Out of all the commands, that's it. He broke it down real easy. So fear God, love God and love people. That's it. Very simple, right? Matthew 22, 34. Just to give you uh, where we get that from our vision. Hearing that Jesus had a silence, the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. So they're trying to test him. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Well, there's so many commandments. you got the Ten Commandments. Well, which one's the greatest? Thou shalt not kill. Don't lie. Which one's the greatest? Right? They're trying to test him. And Jesus replied, well, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Love God and love people. That's our vision. That's what it all comes down to. When you love God, and it kind of goes hand in hand. When you love God, it's because you fear Him. And you fear God, you know, because you love Him. You follow His commands. You love Him, you love Jesus, you follow His commands. And there's so many commands out there. You see, love your neighbor as you love yourself. If you love your neighbor, you're going to preach the gospel to them because you don't want them to go to hell. You're going to treat them with kindness and gentleness. And then you love God, you're going to be obedient to God. See, so it really summarizes everything. So Solomon was right when he said that. Fear God and keep His commandments, for this is the whole of man, uh, the whole of mankind. Or this is the whole duty. This is our duty to do this. This is our vision. This is what will make us complete. Amen? So let's go down to the the last verse, in verse 14. Why do we do this then? What's the whole point? We do this because one day we're going to meet Jesus face to face. One day, we are going to be judged. And we're going to have to give an account to everything that we've done to Jesus. In verse 14, For God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it is good or evil. See, if you have any secrets in your cause, any bones in your causes, every secret thing, every hidden thing will be laid bare. Everything will be laid bare. You can't hide anything from God. This is scary, you know. It's like, I mean if you're living right for God, it's good, you know, we're gonna we're gonna go to heaven, but everything that we've done, good and bad, we're gonna have to give an account to Jesus. That's what the Bible says. He says it right here, talks about it in First Corinthians, talks about it in Romans, and of course Revelations, right? Throughout the whole Bible. God has a point at a time where He's going to judge us. He's gonna judge the whole world, but we believers have a special judgment too as well. Hebrews four thirteen, if you could turn to Andrew. You see, we will be held for everything that we've done. Our deeds, our motives, our thoughts, right? Our faithfulness, our unfaithfulness, opportunities that we've had to do good, opportunities that we've had to preach the gospel, our character, our lack of love, everything. He's going to judge us, judge us for everything that we've done. 4.13, nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Nothing. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. We're going to have to give an account. See, so knowing this, having this knowledge, man, it should bring a fear of God upon us. Bottom line is we better live a good life. We better know how to live. We better know what it is to fear God and obey his commandments. Because our reward in heaven is based on how we live here on earth. We have a responsibility here on earth. Fear God and keep his commandments. This is the conclusion, is that we need to live a life that's pleasing to God. Having this knowledge that we're going to be judged one day should perfect in us a fear of God. We should want to and a desire to live a holy and righteous life. That's what it's all about. That's the message. In these six verses that, uh, that Solomon wrote, the last six verses, he wrote hundreds of verses, hundreds of Proverbs, 3,000 Proverbs, and this, the whole Bible, 66 books, this is the whole point. This is what it's all about. This is our purpose. This is the meaning to life. Fear God and keep his commandments. And if you do this, you'll be well. You'll be full and complete, not lacking anything. That's what Solomon's saying. That's what it's all about. Let us let that be our challenge, you know? Let that be our desire. I mean, I'm not saying that we should be perfect. I mean, we should aim for perfection. God says, be perfect as I am perfect. So that's our goal. But man, fear God and keep his commandments. We need to be righteous. Righteous is doing the right thing. So if we sin, if we mess up, do the right thing. Ask for forgiveness. Come to God and ask him, hey, man, help me to not do this again. I want to live right for you. Righteous. That's living a righteous life. Not perfect, righteous. You see, the difference. Man, that's our challenge. This is the message. This is the, so- the message that, that Solomon gave us. He was a wise man, right? And this is what life is all about. This is the meaning to all of our lives. This is the meaning to all of our lives. Everybody on earth. Here, you know, whether you're working, going to school, full-time ministry, everybody. This is the meaning. This is everything. Nothing else matters. Solomon, like I said, had it all. But nothing else matters. This is what matters. This is, this is what brings us eternal joy, eternal happiness, eternal salvation, not temporary. Amen.